Well, I'm here today with a good friend of mine for nearly two decades, uh, Don Curran, and he is a, an evangelist and a pastor, and he also works with HeartCry. Particularly, he works in Eastern Europe, taking care of many of the missionaries there and reporting on their activities. And so thank you for being here with us today. It's a joy, Paul. Okay, well, we're going to just start off. Um, we want to talk about Eastern Europe and about the missionaries that are there. So here's my first question. How many missionaries does HeartCry have in Eastern Europe? We have 29 right now. Mm -hmm. We have four in Ukraine. We have five in Moldova. And then the others are in Romania. In Romania. Wonderful. Uh -huh. Okay. Um, let's start off by when we talk about our missionaries and our ministry among them, um, we always say that, that missions is about the communication of truth, about theological truth, doctrinal truth, about scripture. And so how are we helping missionaries to grow in this area? Well, I think we're doing all that we can to help them to increase their theological precision. Um, obviously, we just come alongside, we ask questions, we answer questions that they might have. Also, of course, something unique to Eastern Europe is we'll do uh, conferences, heart cry conferences, a couple times a year where primarily our missionaries are invited to come in. But what we do is we try to give them refresher courses on things that we feel like are very vital to the church and to the work of the gospel, such as uh, you know various things that pertain to the theology of soteriology and ecclesiology. That seems to be a very big and vital thing right now uh, in the minds of our men and women there in Eastern Europe. But, but just this reiteration, this uh, refreshing of these vital doctrines, you know, seems like it really helps settle in their minds and keep in the forefront what their mission is there in Eastern Europe. Now, we've also had guest speakers come over. Who yes, have, we have. Who have been some of those? Well, we've had Dr. Bruce Ware from Southern. He's a professor there at Southern Seminary. We've had Brother Conrad Mbewey on occasion to come and minister in conferences. Um, there have been other good men. Ed Lacey, evangelist Ed Lacey, has been with us. Uh, and, of course, you've been there a few times as well. So it's always been uh, a real joy to see different men come in and minister truth to these people and uh, respond to their questions, you know, that they have. Now, I remember years ago, Sorin Prodan, who heads up our work in Eastern Europe and in Romania particularly, he started something of a theological training program with books and things like that. Mm -hmm. Can you explain that to us? Yes. Uh, about uh, every third of a year, uh, they have certain missionaries. It's not necessarily heart cry missionaries, but there are people that are either aspiring to the mission field or have been called to missions, as well as our heart cry missionaries, are given expenses paid by heart cry. Uh, they cover all the cost of the books, the resources, but they're given like anywhere from four to five books. And these books will range anywhere from theology to very practical issues in the Christian life, such as walking with God, prayer, being filled with the Spirit, or even the biographies or autobiographies of great Christians. So they're required to read the books. Then what they do is they come to a site and then they begin to share what they're learning and they ask questions to one another and sharpen one another by dialoguing back and forth on the site. They are required to commit to reading the material and doing a report on each one of those resources uh, if they're going to be a part of the theological training school. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Now we've said that that the Great Commission is about the communication of truth. Uh, 
and that requires the study of scripture, mm -hmm. but also uh, it's getting out there, you know, in the byways and highways and preaching the good news. How do they do that there in Romania? Well, it's something that's very unique. Uh, obviously, they don't do a lot that would be independently of the local church. So they're doing it through their local churches, whatever the mission may be. It may be a vacation Bible school. It may be some type of a uh, mercy ministry to the community. Uh, they seek to put the gospel at the heart of that. Uh, but uh, they oftentimes, this is something very unique to Eastern Europe, is particularly in Romania, the heart cry missionaries will gather together in one locale once a month for two or three days just to canvas the area evangelistically. So they're passing out tracts, they're passing out pamphlets, even CDs and DVDs with the gospel message on it, introducing themselves and more importantly, introducing the gospel to those communities. So it really helps them as they come together, they complement each other and we could have some around 12, 15 missionaries there or people that are associated with heart cry that come in and knock on the doors or sometimes even do street preaching to evangelize the communities. Well, I remember, I think it was the last time that I was there, uh, we went out at night and, and we were not just handing out tracts, but we were street preaching. And one of the things that I noticed that I really, really appreciate about these brethren is they're bold. Mm -hmm. And they will preach on the streets. They will witness. I remember um, when uh, Bebe Tomeche mm -hmm. and, and Alex Palladi mm -hmm. were working on campus. And when I first met them, I wanted to see, you know, are these guys just walking around campus? Are they evangelizing? What are they doing? And so it probably would have taken less than 10 minutes to walk across that campus. And so I asked them, I said, would you walk with me? And... Uh, it took us 45 minutes to get across the campus because of so many students that came up to them and said, you know, things like, thank you for giving me that Bible. Thank you for giving me the track. Thank you for visiting me in the dorms. And it showed me that these guys were about preaching. You know, so often we hear uh, people talk about all the promises in the Bible with regard to the power of God in preaching. But oftentimes it seems like they only do that in the context of a beautiful church building where everyone's in agreement. Yeah. The one thing I really appreciate about the brethren in Eastern Europe is they will stand there in the marketplace and they will preach, even though sometimes people can be quite hostile. Yes, absolutely. And, and you're right. I mean, these guys have an ability to connect with the students. Uh, they're fearless, but they're very compassionate. Uh, they're full of reality. Their, their lives are full of reality. So it just draws the students in. And even in some very difficult situations where kids are living in immorality or they're just very insanely um, uh, disbelieving, uh, yet these guys have such a winsome way. They're just filled with grace to connect with the students and be able to engage them in a dialogue about the gospel. And the reports are always a delight to read because it's like looking through a window and just seeing this, this precious dialogue going on for the sake of the gospel. Yeah, one of the things that I've so appreciated about all of them, I mean, is that uh, they stand for the truth, they preach the truth, and yet they have a winsome personality. Mm -hmm. uh, they're not angry. They're not against. 
they're heralds of the good news of Jesus Christ. They really are. I mean, the old statement is, you know, people never care how much you know until they know how much you care. Right. And, and these guys will use the grace of hospitality and bring students into their homes to feed them, to sit, and to dialogue over the gospel. Uh, it's just a joy to watch. I think the other thing that I really appreciate, and, you know, we have far more than student ministry. Student ministry only makes up a small part. But in every one of these ministries, they have learned to be churchmen. Mm. that everything centers around the local church and getting students, getting families into the local church to sit under biblical preaching and to be a part of an assembly, a community of faith. Yeah, it's amazing. One of our student evangelists, uh, John Tomici, that you yeah. just mentioned a moment ago, uh, had such a heart to reach students but was so devoted to the local church now he's transitioned into the church, bringing students into the church. And I guess we would put him more in a category of being like an elder in a local church yes, now yes. than just uh, a student evangelist. So yes, that, that kind of reflects, I think, his devotion to the local church. Amen. Well, let me see here. I've got some more questions that I want to ask you. Let's talk. We've been talking about the blessings, but let's, you know, talk to me about many of the obstacles that they're going through. Well, I would say, first of all, uh, one of the major things would be uh, just the whole influence of Western influence coming into Eastern Europe. Um, sadly, we're basically very pragmatic in our society here in the United States, and church groups want to come over and they want to minister, and we see that as a very admirable thing. But sadly, they bring a lot of the trappings of that whole Western mindset with them. And oftentimes, uh, while the missionaries want to accommodate and they want to work and partner with some of these local church groups, they kind of dumb down the gospel, the importance of the gospel, when they bring it over into those churches or into those particular contexts. Uh, it, it's rather frustrating for our missionaries because you know, you're basically, your approach is different because your view of the gospel is different. So I, I see the Western influence as being a real problem at times, and especially if they want to resort to some kind of pragmatic thing, you know, of whether it's clowns or entertainment or whatever, yeah. and, and not keeping the gospel as the main thing. Um, so I would see that as a major obstacle uh, to Eastern Europe, you know, not to mention when it comes to uh, defining the gospel. Right. I mean, we try to really biblically define the gospel, whereas if they bring it over, uh, it's kind of like there's more emphasis on the praying the prayer or the decision aspect than there is the content of a biblical gospel. Right. Yeah, so. You know, I, uh, this was years ago after the wall fell. It's maybe two years after the wall fell and, and Americans started coming into Romania. One Romanian brother who was in the ministry, he told me with, with quite a bit of anger, he said, uh, these Americans that come over here, he goes, and then they write back or they tell these stories in the United States about how many people have been saved under their ministry. He said, if what they say is true, then everyone in my country has been saved six times. <laughs> And, and I remember that. I, I remember um, standing up and preaching uh, in Bucharest one day at a rather large church. And 
I noticed after I got about, I don't know, 20 minutes into the sermon that the, the, all the ministers were really looking at me with kind of a shocked look on their uh, faces. And I thought, wow, you know, I've, I've made them angry or something's not good here. Mm -hmm. So when I came down, um, one of them came up to me. It was um, then the president of the Baptist Union, Brother Talos, a man that I, I really respect. And he said, uh, I, I, I can't believe what I heard. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, you're American. I said, yes. He says, you preached against sin. I said, yes, I did. You called for repentance. I said, yes, yes. And, and faith that, that actually demonstrates itself to be true. And then he just threw his hands up in the air and said, you know, I can't believe it. This is wonderful. <laughs> and I thought, what a terrible legacy that so many have left in Eastern Europe, yeah. you know, that, um, and we're not talking about extravagant doctrinal issues. We're talking about the basic gospel of Jesus Christ, right. preaching the, the life, the death, the resurrection of Christ and calling men to repentance and faith and calling those who believe they believe to examine themselves to make sure that they are in the faith. And, um, and that is so needed. And that's one of the reasons why um, I know in our discussions this morning, you kept uh, talking about how not only do we need to teach doctrine, but we need to keep teaching the same doctrines, right. keep affirming the same doctrines so that people don't slide, particularly with regard to the gospel. Yeah. And, and if I could say something else along those lines, Brother Paul, uh, we believe that the gospel is not only the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, but it's the power of God unto sanctification to all that believe. Right. And, and we've got to keep the gospel preeminent in our churches. Um, just to give you a quick example, um, a man that I've known for a number of years there in Romania who's translated for me on occasion, uh, he picked myself and Serena up at the airport one morning for us to catch a flight out to another European country. And, and I noticed he was just out of sorts. I mean, he was very perplexed about something. And so I asked him, I said, uh, brother, uh, what's troubling you? And he says, we've been a part of one of the largest evangelical churches in Romania. And we raised our children in this church. And now my children are leaving home. They're going to university. They're moving away from home. They've got no heart for God, no desire to please God, no appetite for scripture. And it's just like, they're not even religious. And they show disrespect toward authority. And, and I said, well, well, why are you perplexed? And, I said, I know that that really burdens you, but I said, do you see there's a problem behind that? And he said, yes. He says, my children in the church that we belong to have got a steady diet of biblical narratives, but independently of the gospel. So they would learn about Elijah and Moses right. and Peter. And so all these inspirational stories biblically and Noah and others but yet the gospel will never at the heart of it. And it's only the gospel, he says, the power of God and his salvation. He said, what we've done is we've turned out little moralists that know nothing of the power of the gospel experientially. And so he was really troubled. He said, brother, we've got to have the gospel at the heart of everything in the local church, or we're just gonna raise children that might be good and morally clean, but yet they've got no heart for God whatsoever. And, and you know, though, that's true. But also as men and as fathers, we have the obligation 
also to teach in our families the right. gospel. Right. You know, um, I love my church. I love the elders of the church. I appreciate what they teach. I believe they're, they are biblical, but it's still my responsibility as a father. You know, we probably four times a week we meet for uh, family devotions in which we are discussing scripture. And, you know, as, as Spurgeon would say, whatever scripture we take, we're going to find our way back right. to Christ and the cross. It's, it's going to be centered. And, and I think that is, that is so important. You know, so many people, it, it seems like there's this extreme, always extremes. We all have to avoid it. But it's either, you know, it's all about commands. It's all about morality. It's all about behavior, you know, which is not true. The gospel is the center of everything. It is all about faith in Christ and his finished work. But then you have other people who say, well, it's all about the gospel and totally neglect right. the commands of God. Yes. And, and both those are wrong. What we need is the gospel of Jesus Christ has saved us, is saving us, and will save us. And as a response, we delight in the wisdom of God and we want to follow his commands. Now, another thing, um, let's talk about, I know that so much has changed in Romania, uh, especially now that with the EU and everything. Mm -hmm. And so we're talking about obstacles at this moment. What are some of the obstacles that have been caused by, by all of that? Well, I think one thing is since Romania, uh, not Moldova, not Ukraine, but Romania is a part of the European Union, uh, they are a part of a group of nations now that they have to pay more. They have to support the European Union. So consequently, they're increasing the prices of their products. Mm -hmm. The Romanian government is increasing taxes, not just on our missionaries, but the entire population of Romania. And consequently, it's hard for them to keep up, to pay the government taxes right. and then pay the price that these various uh, organizations are putting on food as well as clothing, it, it can be very, very burdensome for our missionaries. So it, it's affecting the economy and consequently, oftentimes some of our missionaries, not just heart cry, but others have to get secondary jobs in order to support their family just to pay their taxes and of course uh, buy what they need to support their family. And, and many pastors that have been pastors for many years are really struggling, aren't they? Yes. Then there's also the idea that it's just opened the door wider to the West mm -hmm. and the immorality that's in the West. That's one of the things that, that amazed me when I first went to Romania so many years ago. They had been isolated from the rest of the world, and communism had something of a morality in that it didn't want its people to be tainted by the Western materialism. Mm -hmm but it didn't change the heart. Right. And the moment that door flew open, you know, we saw the West come in and just engulf Eastern Europe, especially among the youth. And now with the EU, it just continues. Mm -hmm. And it's that need, you know, to, we need preachers. Yeah. We need preachers who are gospel centered and yet men who also lift up a standard of righteousness and expose all these lies coming in and the lies of our own hearts, yeah. you know, and telling us about righteousness. Now, another thing that 
ever since the beginning, since we began to work in Eastern Europe in the early 90s or mid-90s, um, people don't realize this, how much the, the Orthodox Church comes against the evangelical church, believers who are preaching the gospel. Can you share with us about that? Yeah, the major difference between the Orthodox Church and the Catholic Church, uh, basically it was a split off the Catholic Church, is my understanding. Right. And it was all over uh, some aspect of the Holy Spirit. Um, but anyway, uh, the Orthodox Church in Romania are not evangelical friendly at all. No. Uh, they're very adverse to Christianity, to uh, the evangelical uh, message, uh, but they have really, uh, of course, at times become very hostile, uh, very uh, adversarial with uh, our missionaries over there. Uh, for example, uh, one missionary in Ukraine, uh, they had bought land, they had laid their foundation, they were getting ready to start building the structure on it. And one of the Orthodox priests came out and put acid all over the foundation, which crumbled the foundation and really ruined any potential of even building a church there on the property uh, because of the extent of the damage. Uh, but they will manipulate people oftentimes in villages or in communities, uh, if the people allow their children to come to Sunday school or come to vacation Bible school at an evangelical church where our missionary, heart cry missionary is pastoring. And so they'll threaten them, you know, like they're gonna get failed in school or, you know, they're just not gonna make the grades necessary. They have a way of manipulating the community to their advantage to show their disapproval of the evangelical churches there. I remember years ago, um, this name should be familiar to you, John Giriaba mm -hmm. in Ukraine. And um, uh, we did a whole presentation in the magazine about this. He had a tent that he put up to do evangelistic outreach, looked like a big old army tent or something. And the Orthodox priest came with several ruffians, and uh, they took a, he took a big knife and he cut, I, I, I don't have the story maybe 11 or 12 slashes mm -hmm. in the tent, huge, to make it almost useless. And uh, in the end, he cut himself. While he was making the slashes, the priest cut himself and had to go away to get care. But that night, um, John said, I, let's say it was 11 slashes the man made, 11 people were converted. Oh, and, wow. and he told me, he says, I hope the man comes back and would cut more, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yeah. And it was kind of God's confirmation that, yes, preach the gospel, preach the gospel. And it is so very sad because I've been in Orthodox services where the priest goes through all the rituals and everything, and not, not once is the gospel proclaimed. Not once. And let, let me just mention something too, Paul. This is a tremendous illustration of just how that the evangelical missionaries and hardcore missionaries have capitalized on some of the things that the Orthodox Church have done. For example, um, the Orthodox priest will not perform any service unless they're paid for it. You know, it doesn't matter whether it's a wake, you know, for somebody that's, that's died, or a funeral, or the christening of a baby, or whatever, or a marriage. You, you've got to pay the priest a, a certain measure of money in order to get that service. Right. Uh, John, you mentioned John Girardi. He, um, he capitalized on that situation, and what he did is he said it was amazing 
He said, we would do evangelistic events where we might have somebody come in and sing and then present the gospel or somebody just come in and preach the gospel. And we might only have one or two people from the community come and be a part of the event. And so we're, we're spending this money, you know, we're trying to get people there, you know, and take care of their travel and all. But, but he says, we weren't seeing any results from it. Well, when I heard about what the Orthodox Church was doing, that they had to be paid for everything, I put the word out and said, you know, I'll come and, you know, officiate at your wakes and greet people and I'll do your funerals and I'll do your weddings for you. And you but don't not have the to, christenings. You don't have to, yeah, you don't have to charge me a thing. Uh, or I, I won't charge you a thing. You won't have to pay me anything. And it was amazing how all of a sudden where he only gets one or two people for his events that he had planned, now he's doing these funerals and these weddings and he's got four or 500 people present. And he's preaching the gospel. And he preaches the gospel to them. Yeah. So it's amazing how God turned that for good. Yeah, yeah. And um, if I remember, you know, John's quite a character. He I is. mean, he will do anything in order to preach the gospel. He's always in a hurry, yeah. always in a hurry. When uh, Just a funny story. When, uh, when I was going there, I remember Sorin Prodan in Romania told me, now, Brother Paul, be very, very careful. Do not get in a car with this man because he drives crazy. It does. And I'll never forget that. I, got, I thought, well, that's silly. And I got in that car, and there were probably two feet of snow. I literally thought I was not going to make it out of there alive. <laughs> <laughs> I was going home to glory. I have never seen anybody drive like that. And he said, basically, he goes, how am I going to win all of Ukraine to the Lord if I move slow? <laughs> and I said, well, how are you going to do it if you die? You know. Let's uh, get to how can we pray for the missionaries? What? Yeah. What are some of the things that we ought to be praying about? Well, I think they need constant encouragement in regard to their doctrinal position. I mean, we never assume anything. Uh, just because somebody uh, seems to be rock solid theologically, uh, they seem to preach a very pure gospel. Uh, one of the reasons for our conferences over there Many times those conferences may be just refresher courses for something they've heard. Uh, I know Bruce Ware has taught on the Trinity. He's taught on providence. Uh, he's taught on sanctification there. Um, and, and, of course, various others have spoken on issues such as ecclesiology, which was the theme of our last Heart Cry conference. Uh, somehow in the back of your mind, sometimes you'd say, well, uh, man, they've got this stuff already, you know, laid down in their life. I mean, why would they need uh, something else? But it's interesting, we so soon forget. Certain yes. things get blurred and we need to be sharp. And especially in this day and age, it reinforces what perhaps once again comes from the West and their challenge, do I really believe this? Or maybe they've forgotten something that's so essential and they suddenly begin to move toward accommodation. I'm not saying that's happened to any of our missionaries, but that's a tendency in all of us. Yes. And so we need these refresher courses. So pray for them that they would maintain a very rock-solid biblical position regarding such things as soteriology and ecclesiology and, and pneumatology. I mean, we need to know what we believe and stand on the truth. When I think about how many times in both the Old and the New Testament, we hear the word remember, remember, mm. remember, remember. And you're right, we're all in danger. Uh, and probably, I don't know, 20 years ago, I wrote a, um, a workbook on 
on the importance of Scripture, how to study Scripture, what the Bible says about itself. And, um, you know, I was probably 27 or something. And um, about a year ago, um, decided um, that they wanted to, to publish it. And so I said, well, no, hold it. You know, I was 27. Let me, uh, <laughs> let me go back through it. And I went back through it, and it was very simple, very simple. And yet I was sitting there going, oh, forgot that, forgot that, forgot that. So many little things is saying, hey, this is the book. This is the book. You know, yes. if you have to throw away everything else, throw it away. But this is the book you live in. This is how you need to read it daily. This is how you need to memorize. This is the book. Yeah. And so on something that simple. And I find that especially with regard to our preaching of the gospel and um, the tendency, you know, many people haven't even accepted this doctrine, but accepting the doctrine of sola scriptura and then there's the tendency to drift away from that into pragmatism. Mm -hmm. and of course, when I say sola scriptura, I'm talking about that the Bible is not only inspired and infallible and inerrant, but it is all sufficient. sufficient. Yes. Everything we need for ministry and how to, how to direct and order the church, it's all in the scriptures. Absolutely, brother. Absolutely. Yeah, the, the servant Lord will not be rewarded unless he strives lawfully. And so we right. must do everything according to truth. Right. You know, I was, I was telling, uh, well, at the conference, I was telling a group of men, I said, if you take the fact that our ministries will be judged on the day of judgment, there is no way that you could go to sleep at night if you take that seriously, mm. unless you know that in good conscience, you are seeking to hold on to Scripture, that you're ordering your life, right. your doctrine, and your practice, your ministry, according to what is written and not according to the latest ministry fad that's yeah. making its way through Christendom. Yeah, for example, I mean, we talk about contextualization. Uh, is there a legitimate biblical contextualization? Well, Paul says, I've become all things to all men that I might by all means win some. But the thing is, what brings it into balance is when you choose to be governed by Scripture and you think biblically and you, you meet out every responsibility that you do in your ministry according to Scripture. Everything is biblically predicated and not something that just yeah. falls back on the trend of the time. Yeah, I remember, I think I was in Germany and I was talking to some young missionaries and, um, man, they were radical. I mean, just radical contextualization, you know, and everything. And when I, when I said to them, young man, I believe you're wrong here and here and here and here, they brought up the, uh, they brought up a Hudson Taylor. You know, well, Hudson Taylor, you know, shaved his head, had a ponytail, did, you know. I said, yes, he did. Wonderful. I applaud him for it. But he did not change his gospel. Right. And that's the difference. That's a great point. You see? Yes, absolutely. He did not change his doctrine. And I, I feel that, that more and more, you know, in order to kind of um, woo the culture, Missionaries will have a tendency to go, okay, let's drop this as a non-essential, non-essential. And eventually everything almost becomes a non-essential. 
And I asked them, my departing words with them, I said, is, okay, you've played this aspect of Scripture down, this aspect and this aspect and this doctrine and this moral standard. You've played them all down. I said, but when someone walks in here one day in your very, very successful and populated church and asks you a question about one of these things that you don't mention, if you answer it biblically, then I said, at that moment, everything you built is going to be blown apart because mm -hmm. people are going to finally know where you stand mm -hmm. or you're apostate. Mm -hmm. You've denied mm -hmm. a biblical truth. So why not just start at the beginning with the rock solid scripture? And yeah, you know, when when I'm when I'm in in Paris with the church plant there, you know, they don't dress like a. a the hillbilly I am from the mountains, Appalachian Mountains of Virginia. They, they, they were different. Same gospel. Yes. Yes. Same moral standard. You see. Amen. And, um, and I think that's that's very. And you know what? Even when I've been in tribal settings, very tribal settings in the jungle, same thing. Same thing. Yes, there's going to be differences in certain aspects of who we are, but same Bible, same gospel, same standard for me, same standard for them. Nothing yeah. changes because God's word is immutable and right. eternal and over culture. Well, the real danger is if you continue to dumb down the gospel to accommodate the culture, is the gospel has no power to save right. because it's not the gospel anymore. I mean, if gospel does not maintain that scandalous nature and you don't keep it with biblical precision, yeah. what happens is, you know, you just keep watering it down and watering it down because you don't want to offend anybody. First thing you know, I mean, it ceases to be the power of God and salvation. Right. And one thing that um, I remember one time someone said about this, this fellow says, man, you know, he's prejudiced or he's. Yeah, he's prejudiced. And another guy said, no, he's not. He hates everybody. <laughs> and um, there's a sense in which, you know, what Martin Luther said, the scripture is not my friend. You know, it comes at me. It contradicts me. Mm -hmm. And there's a sense in which the scripture doesn't just contradict some cultures. Mm -hmm. It contradicts every culture that has its origin in the mind of man. Right. You see, Western culture every culture, Eastern culture, you know, and the call is not to conform to Western culture. No, Western culture is unbiblical. Right. But the call is to conform to Scripture. You see. Well, Don, it has been a great joy once again to, to talk with you, and I hope we can do this a lot more. Maybe get your wife in here. Sure. Cindy, um, a wonderful teacher of Scripture, and has been mightily used all over the world now, you know, sometimes what is it a friend told you just recently? You're yeah, going to have to start say, carrying well, her bags. Yeah, my wife is a speaker in the family. I need to start <laughs> carrying her bags. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's been a blessing to my wife and so many others. Thank so you, um, we'd love to have her here one day. She'd All love right. to come. Well, thank you very much. I hope you've enjoyed this time uh, with my good friend Don Curran. And I hope also that it's, it's helped you maybe understand Scripture and missions a bit more than, than you did before. Well, God bless you. Have a good day.